Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Go with me while you're still standing the book of Matthew chapter 10. Book of Matthew chapter 10. And I want to share one verse of scripture with you. Verse number 39. I mean, a lot of you can can quote this verse. Um, this is what Jesus said. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever, whoever tries to hold on, hoard, and live for themselves will lose it. It'll be like, It'll be like sand that is that is falling through your fingertips. And whoever loses their life or lets go, everybody say let go, let go, for my sake will find it. Whoever loses, whoever lays it down, whoever lets go. So how do we do that? How do we... How do we lose? How do we lose our life? How do we let go of this life? And I want to speak to you this morning from this subject, letting go. Letting go. God bless you this morning. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Have you ever asked somebody a question um, and you're hoping that they gave you not the real answer, but in your estimation, the right answer? Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Have you ever, like you actually know the truth, but you don't want the truth. You, you've already decided what you want to hear you want somebody to just kind of work with you and give you the answer that you need to make it through another day. I'd give you the answer that's going to make you feel better about yourself, to feel encouraged. Like when you ask your spouse, hey, do I look like I've gained weight? Or when you've asked, hey, does this outfit make me look, and I don't want to even say it, does this outfit make me look fat? And, and please know that there is a time limit to that question and these types of questions. You pause too long, and that's an answer in and of itself. And, 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 and when we hear those real answers sometimes and not the right answers we were looking for, sometimes it's hard to let those times go. We hold on to it's like they're stamped into our brain and our minds, and we hold on to those moments. Mallory and I once had an argument, and it's, it's not that I hold on to it, but I remember it was October 10, 2014. And 
Of course, I'm kidding, but there are people like that, right? There are people that just can't let go. They, they can't, and I know it's easier said than done, right? I don't know about anybody else, but I enjoy watching these uh, videos of these people that, that swing out on a rope swing over a lake or a pond. And uh, has anybody ever done that before? Anybody remember that? Yes, that's, that, what, what great memories uh, and how fun that was. But there's some important instructions. Actually, there's just one instruction, and that is, hey, when you swing out over the water, you got to let go. And if you don't, you're coming right back and you're going to you're going to land in the sticker bush or you're going to smash into a tree or the rope will eventually let go of you and you're going to fall. So when you get out there, you got to let go. It's simple instructions, pretty basic that if you don't let go, you're going to get hurt. How many of you know that that should be obvious, right? Just let go. No matter, no matter what you feel in the moment, let go so you don't end up hurt. But a lot of people, and I love those videos, a lot of people on the rope swing, something happens to them when they swing out over that water. Something takes place when they're right over the water. They get out there and everyone's like, let go, let go. And they're, I don't know what's going on. They're like, I don't know about this. Like, I can't do this. Like, I can't fly. I'm not Peter Pan. So I'm going to hold on to this rope. And then, bam, right into a tree or the, the rope that they eventually slip. Their grip gives out. It's amazing how we'll tell each other, hey, just let it go. Hey, you need to let it go. And people are like, no, you need to let it go. It's our, it's our nature, it's our nature to, to do what? To hold on. Everybody say, hold on. It's our nature to hold on. If I lean over to my little baby boy, Reddick, he will grab my hair and he will hold on. As a child, we know we, this is how it's in our nature. It's natural for us, and it's natural when we are questioning ourselves or feeling insecure or we are feeling anxious, we don't let go. But in fact, we hold on tighter and tighter. Hey, that's normal. That's normal. It's normal for us. We naturally hold on. And Jesus says this, that the more you do that, the less life follow me, the less life you will experience, the more that you hold on. See, according to John 10 and 10, we've been designed for the abundant life. But oftentimes, we suffocate the abundant life trying to control every season and every element. So how do we let go? How do we let go? I want to take you to the story found in John chapter 5. And I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse number 1. The Bible says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, but by the sheep gate, a pool 
in Aramaic called Bethesda, which means house of mercy, which has five roof colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of disabled, blind, and lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been in that condition a long time, he said this to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, how many knows that Jesus is not being sarcastic with this question? He, he's not trying to be insulting. He's not trying to be belittling. Jesus only asks honest questions filled with compassion, filled with empathy, and filled with love because that's who he is. Do you want to be healed? And the man says this, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And what's interesting to me is in this story, Jesus never even acknowledges that statement. He doesn't say, did you ever notice that whenever you're reading that in the Gospels? He never even says anything. He never says, man, that's difficult. Wow. That's, that's quite the story. That's, that's really difficult. He says, why don't you get up now and walk? And there's so much to these verses. In verses 8 and 9, there's so much mystery to this. He says, get up and walk. And so he did. It's like, what was the connection? What, what, what was the, they were having a conversation, and Jesus just kind of ends the conversation, overlooks the excuse, and says, oh, yeah, okay, you can get up now. And the guy was like, okay, yeah. I'm reading this. He gets up, took up his bed. Now, that day was the Sabbath, and that's important for us to know because the Jews said to this man, hey, it's the Sabbath. What are you you doing? Like, you can't get unparalyzed on the Sabbath. That's what they were saying. Like, it's against the law. It's not lawful for you to be healed like this. Man, you can't get unparalyzed on a holy day. Anyways, he, uh, he answers them, and he says, the man who healed me said, get up. And they're like, and? And he's like, and that's all he said? I- I'm telling you, read this. That's all he said, the man said. And then then they're like, you know, he's like, that's a, and they're like, who is the man that said, take up your bed and walk? And this is what, this is what gets me really too. I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't even know the man's name. He's, He's like, he said it. I felt it. I agreed. I got up. I was like, peace, dog. I'm out. I'm out. That's all he said. (laughs) I don't really need to get his name, man. I'm unparalyzed. Like, do you see this? I'm unparalyzed. 
The man didn't even know who it was, for Jesus, the Bible says, had withdrawn, and there was a crowd, and I didn't even catch his name. And the Bible says this, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, I see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. I want to give us just a, a few observations that I feel are very practical and very applicable to our everyday life. Let's start with the, with the interesting, challenging, difficult, awkward question of Jesus. Jesus approaches a man who has been paralyzed since before he was born. Jesus, 38 years was this man paralyzed. Jesus is approximately 33 years old. So, first of all, do I want to be healed? Young man, I have been paralyzed longer than you have been alive. Who are you talking to? Do you realize who it is? And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Why would Jesus ask a man, who has not been able to use some of his limbs and his joints and his, uh, why would he say, do you want to be healed? Now remember, Jesus is God in the flesh, all right? And the scripture says that he remembers that we are what? Dust. He re he's acquainted with our weaknesses and our shortcomings. He knows our condition. He says, do you want to be healed? You see, when it comes to this idea of letting go, the first observation I'd like to make is this. Jesus is asking this man, do you want to let go of the emotional connection that you have made with that pain? Do you want to let go of that? Do you want to let go of that emotional connection? Because Jesus understands sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes we don't want to let it go. Now, these first few observations that I'm going to give you and that I'm going to make, they are before Jesus. Before Jesus is revealed to this man in the story, this is all pre-Jesus. So if you're here today and say, Bryce, I don't really understand Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't get the church thing. I don't understand the whole Jesus thing. I don't know all of this stuff. Can I present to you some things today that you need to let go of whether you know Jesus or not? Whether you have relationship with Jesus or not. This paralyzed man didn't know who he was. I believe that God is saying, hey, I've made the universe and I've made the planets in such a way that I'm going to tell you what's not going to help you in this life. Whether you know me or not, that's the kind of God we serve. There's answers all around us. One of those things is an emotional connection to your pain. An emotional connection to your pain. That does what, Bryce? That causes you to identify with it. And now your plight and your pain in your life have become what? They become your identity. That's your identification. It will do you no good. I'll say this. We got to let go of the drama. We got to let go of the drama. All right? Now, 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 we all got drama. 
Don't act like you don't. Come on, stop polishing your halos out there just for a little bit, all right? We all got our drama. Jesus is not minimizing the drama. He's speaking to the emotional connection that was to the paralysis. You see, God hates the paralysis. God didn't make man and he didn't make woman to be paralyzed and to be in pain. That's the result of free will and sin. When that happened to the planet, what happened to our bodies, listen to me, that's not God's design. It's not God's design that you hurt. It's not God's design that you be in pain. That's not the point. Jesus is not trying to belittle the man's pain or make him feel small or make him feel like it's his problem or it's his fault. I mean, we can't sit here today and make the statement that this man has to have enough faith and then Jesus will heal him. Friend, I could show you in the scripture where Jesus healed people with zero faith. So the message here is not, do you want to be healed? Then you can, then, then, you, then you can, but hey, you've got to want it enough. No, that's not consistent with other healings that Jesus did. And so he's saying, are you willing to let go because this has become your identity? Come on, Bryce, nobody holds on to drama that much. You know there are some people who don't even know how to have a conversation without inserting drama into that conversation. It starts out like this. So did you hear? Did you hear about? Did you hear some people, it's drama has become their way of life. And everyone says, I want to live the let go life, Christ. I want to let go. And yet we continue to insert drama everywhere we go. We think drama. We speak drama. When somebody tells us something that is perfectly normal, we hear drama. How dare your neighbors bring you cookies? Do they expect you to bring over cookies? Were the cookies good? Were they gluten-free? I bet they weren't gluten-free. I bet they know you're gluten-free, and they brought those cookies over, and they had wheat in them. They want you to get thick in the midday. They don't want you to fit in that Easter out. I mean, your neighbors brought you cookies, and now it's a soap opera. (laughs) And the question Jesus is saying is, do you want to? Now, I love God because if you want this, if you want to stay here, that is your decision, my friend. If you want to stay laying right here, if this is what you want, do you want to stay here or do you want to let it go? That's what Jesus is asking. Do you want to stay here or do you want to let it go? I think the drama is all, well, it's just the way it is. That's just the way it is, Bryce. Well, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it's just the way it is. We use it's the way it is to qualify and to justify why we are so dramatic. Qualify and justify why we hold on to things rather than let them go. But we've got to learn to let go. We've got to let go learn to let go of that emotional connection to our pain. 
because I want to help somebody today. That emotional connection, that pain in your life, it doesn't have to define who you are, you know? It doesn't. You know, there's no rules that says you have to hold on to what they said about you for the rest of your life. There's no rules that says you got to hold on to what they did to you 10, 15, 20 years ago for the rest of your life. There's nothing that says keep holding on to it. There's no rule that says you have to live that way. Now, I know that might be how it seems everybody lives around you. But Jesus just gave this man hope. He said, hey, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed or do you want to stay there? I suspect that there's, there's been days where you have identified so much with the paralysis and the, and, and the pain and being overlooked and being unloved, and, and that has become ultimately your calling card. It's how you talk because that's exactly how this man talks in the very next we have to learn how to let go of the drama, and that really does, in so many ways, start with how we talk. It starts with how we talk. It's amazing. It's amazing, church, to get around people that just have such a trust in Jesus. It's amazing to get around the right people that have such a relationship with God that can take something so supercharged with drama and layers and manipulation and they can take it and say, man, God is good anyhow. He's going to work all things together for the good. Oh, what they thought was evil, he's going to turn it around for your good. I love people like that. And you hear those people sometimes, you're like, why are you so positive? And then we get in the car all by ourselves, and we think, man, I need some of that. I need some of that positivity. I need a little bit more um, of that in my life, like a dramatic diffuser, if you will. You ever met those people? It's like, God's going to work it out, my friend. I don't know how he's going to do it. I know God's going to work it out. Hey, I love you. God's for you. Hey, you want to pray right now? Let's pray. And they're not any less caring. There's just a conviction inside of them. How many of you know there's going to be days where it's like the drama that is undeniable. There's going to be days like that where your life is going to be filled. You're going to lose a family member or your child is going to be sick. I say that 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 we need to reserve that emotional energy for those times. We need to reserve that emotional energy for those days, my friend. We need to let we need to let but in the meantime, let's all just collectively calm down and let go of Let's all calm down and let go of some things. He says this, do you want to be healed? Did you notice the response? The response of the paralyzed man for 38 years will tell us his world view. This is his world view. And can I tell you this morning that your world view influences so much how you interact, how you walk, how you talk, how you spend your money, where you go, what your worldview is. He says this, well, sir, watch this. I don't have anybody. 
I don't, I don't have any friends. Did you know if you keep telling yourself that, you're going to eventually believe it? Nobody cares for me. Nobody. Now, this is all pre-Jesus. This is all before the man is realizing who it is that he's talking to. Jesus has not even told him that he's Savior, he's Healer, he's Messiah. This is just living in the universe 101. He says, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool, and when the water is stirred, I'm going down, but somebody faster, somebody that's quicker, steps in and gets the healing. Other translations infer that when the water was miraculously stirred, whoever got there first, hear me, whoever got there first, whoever got there first, whoever was the fastest got the healing. This man actually believes that life is about the fastest and life is about the smartest. That your success in life will be determined on whether or not you can compete with the fastest and the smartest and the most connected. And I know a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about and you can relate to this. And and we have to compete with the most brilliant and the most affluent and the most. Does this sound familiar? As long as I could be the fastest, if I can be the smartest, We're trying to compete. We're trying to be the best. We're trying to be the wisest and the best. And it's not what you know. It's who you know. And I've got to get connected. It's all about networking. And i got to start networking. you got to make this connection. i got to make that happen. And we wonder why. So have you ever heard the word anxious so much used more in your entire life? what people are fighting these days, what people are struggling with these days, anxiety, anxiety. Why? We're in a world that is competing. I've got to be the best. I've got to be the smartest. I've got to be the wisest. It's because there is a worldview that is growing rapidly, and it is completely based on self-will. It is completely based on self-sufficiency. Hear me right now. It's completely based on I'm going to be the captain of my own ship and the captain of my own destiny. And we are led to believe that life is given to the fastest and it's given to the smartest and it's given to the brightest and the most connected. And this man, may I remind you, who lived in antiquity, who lived in ancient times, he already believes this. He already knows this. Ha, Jesus, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be this way I, if, I didn't, if I had connections. I, I wouldn't be, be this way except, you know, if I was exposed to a good education. I, I wouldn't be this way if I had money. I wouldn't be this way, but, you know, I don't have money, and I'm not as gifted, and I'm not as whatever. We can go on down the list. And what he doesn't understand is he is in a place called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. And hear me, mercy has nothing to do with the smartest. It has nothing to do with the Pastors, for mercy is not getting what you deserve. Our God 
works in terms of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy and truth. He operates on a, on a whole different spectrum and level and is beyond which we can comprehend and understand. So we've got to learn to let go of this worldview that is by nef- definition broken. And it's been broken since Genesis 3. This worldview, one that keeps telling you every day, you got to be faster. You got to be quicker. Oh, you got to be quicker than that. One that says, hey, you got to be faster. You got to go after it. You got to get more. You got to run. You got you to do everything that you can. You got to get ahead. One that keeps telling you, you got to get smarter. And I'm, I'm, don't, please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with getting faster. There's nothing wrong with getting smarter and getting better, but life is not defined by the smartest and the fastest. Look at, a, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Sorry, Sister Sharon, we're going to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This is what the Bible says. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift. What? Or the, or the battle to the strong? Nor does food come to the white. What? Or wealth to the brilliant? Huh? Or favor to be learned? But time and chance happen to them all. What? Where's, where's sovereignty? Well, that comes first, but, but God made room for free will, folks. And the Bible says that the earth is, what, subject to futility. Because of our choices. (laughs) And now there are things that have been set into motion, and God allows, he, he allows in his sovereignty. And one of those things is time and chance happen. There is a grace element to even the free will part of the world. I'm sorry it's not true today. Success is not exclusive to the fastest and the brightest and the smartest. But we keep telling ourselves and, uh, and we keep trying to understand that it is to those things. And what happens is we end up staying all wound up. And in some cases, what I see a lot is this, inactive. Inactive. Because people are left to sit there thinking, well, what do I have? I'm not the brightest. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the quickest. But I want to help you today and say, not everybody's got to be. Well, I'm not first, Bryce, so I must be last. No, hear me right now. Nobody. Nobody is like you. There's nobody like you. There's nobody that does what you do and thinks like you think. You are uniquely gifted by God. We got to let go of the fastest, smartest worldview. Then lastly, again, remember, This is all pre-Jesus. He says, get up, and the guy gets up. Brother Rice, I love this because it's like, where's the the formula 
in this again. Get up. All right, yeah. He gets up. Now, that's grace. He didn't say, he didn't say, hey, hey, I'm healed. Now, say it with me 10 times. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. He said, get up. And the guy was like, ooh, wow. Sweet. That was amazing. I'm up. I'm healed. And then Jesus slipped away. What is going on now? So then the guy who was healed was just like walking around. He didn't even know the guy's name. The guy just came and said, get up. He gets up. The guy slips off into the crowd. He's walking around like, hey. And and the Jews are like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's the Sabbath, man. Whoa, what are you doing? Like you, you can't you get me out here doing this. Not today. We wait till tomorrow to get unparalyzed. He's like, man, all I know is some guy. He seemed real special today. And, and he said, get up, and I did. And they're like, Psh, what's his name? What's his name? I don't know. You think I asked that? I got legs, potato chip. Like I'm walking now. I'm walking these streets today, yo. Like, this is it. You need to let go. Let go of the emotional connection in your life, the drama that's going on. You need to let go of a faulty worldview. And last thing we need to let go of is that life isn't about knowing it all and figuring it all out. That ought to help somebody right there. This guy got his legs back, and he doesn't even know how, and he doesn't even know why. Jesus does not say, now you're healed so you can go go and understand that I'm the healer of all and I'm a restorer of all. Jesus just slips away in the crowd. Says nothing. Doesn't even say his name. As if to tell us, have to tell you and I that you have to let go of this concept that it ain't real unless I can understand it. That's what a lot of people believe. That if I don't understand it, then it can't be real. Can I tell you this, that the majority of your existence, and I don't mean to insult anybody in the room, but the majority of your existence, you do not understand. You just don't. You just don't. I don't even understand how my heart works, but I use it. You know, they're still discovering things about the human body. There's new discoveries that are taking place. There's so much to this life that we don't understand. Some of us are like, well, if you can, if you can put it on a spreadsheet, maybe send that over to me. Let me, let me take a look at it and they explain it to me. Uh, and if you can't do that, then it's not real. Then it's not real. Says who? came up with these rules? Who came up with this concept that I got to understand it all for it to be legit or for it to be real? I'm telling you, I've been a part of some services and watch as God has blessed and miracle after miracle. And I didn't stop for one second to say, it can't be real because I don't understand it. I'm telling you, we are just scratching the surface to all there is to know about our great and mighty God. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts. I love this guy. 
I got no idea, idea who it was. I don't know who spoke those things for me. I didn't even get his name, but I'm standing here. I'm walking over here. What happened to childlike faith? What happened to childlike faith? What happened to it? What does it mean to let go if our music would come? I do think it means letting go of the drama and the, the broken worldview, and I do think it means letting go of knowing it all and figuring it all out. And to me, it's now the best part of the story where Jesus reveals himself, and it changes everything. It changes everything. I think there's some, you know, practical human validity to the, to the first points that I've given here this morning. Like, even if you don't believe in God, you should do your best to let go of these things. But then here comes the power to truly let go. The Bible says that Jesus found him in the temple. So the guy was talking to the Jews, probably some well-standing, upstanding citizens, citizens the, uh, of the Jews who, who know the law, who, who, who are smart, wise, and, and he says, I don't even know his name. And this afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, that's interesting. Why is this man in the temple? I'll tell you why I believe he's in the temple. The temple is the holiest place on earth. And what has just happened to him, he believes, had to happen from a holy man. And so he went to the holiest place he knows. And by the way, no one was greater than the temple. Nothing was greater than the temple. The temple was the zenith of the human experience. It was everything. So he went into the temple, and do you know what he was doing in the temple? He's looking for the man. He's looking for God. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know that's who he's looking for. He's looking. And notice he doesn't find him. Who found who? Who found who? Jesus found. Anybody thankful? that God is the initiator in this whole thing. God is sovereign. God reveals himself. We might need to let go of that idea that it was us who found Jesus, that it was because of our efforts, our strength, our ingenuity that we found him. No, 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 no. It was Jesus that took the first step. It was Jesus who drew near unto you and I. He wasn't standing off in the distance saying, well, you know, whenever you're ready, you know, you make, you make the first move. Like, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready for me, you make the first move. You go ahead and take the first step. No, he moved heaven and earth for you, my friend. He took his feet off the earth, which is his ottoman. He put on skin and bone, and he moved into the neighborhood. He drew near.
And if you know God today, it's because God let you know him. It's because God revealed himself unto you. God took a step in your direction. Can I tell you this morning that God is not far. God is not playing some sadistic game of hide and go seek. He has revealed himself to us. When we see Jesus, we see the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. <laughs> we got to let this poor theology that anchors ourselves to self-effort and self-focus. God, I can't find you. No, no, no. God, you found me. And when you feel, the next time you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you're far from God and those emotions are, 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 are all over you and your disposition tells you, God's not near. God's far from me. God's away from me. God's not listening. God is nowhere around me. you got to remind yourself that you serve a God who found you. You serve a God who came looking for you. You serve a God who took a step on your street, knocking on your door. And I'm here to tell somebody he'll do it again and again and again and again. When it seems like you're 10, 15, 20 years into your journey with Jesus and you can't find him and you need him so desperately, you've got to remind yourself, I'm not going to worry and I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get anxious. I'm not going to get self-righteousness. I serve a God who will draw near. I'm going to be in the temple, Jesus. I'm going to be available to you, Jesus. I'm going to be there, Jesus. Sometimes we misunderstand this one. As you stand with me this morning, I got just a few minutes. I want to, I want to wrap up this thought. Sometimes we misunderstand this one. Jesus, he finds him, and he, and he walks up to him, and he says, you're not... You're not paralyzed anymore. You're not paralyzed anymore. And the guy was just like, hey, I didn't catch your name. I didn't catch your name. Now, another injuries part, interesting part of the story is he doesn't give him his name. He says, I want you to sin no more. Now, I've heard those words before. I've heard those words before. Sin no more. Sin no more was the exact statement that he said to the woman caught in adultery. Remember? And Jesus says to that woman, sin no more. What a dramatic statement. To say to her right then and there, it's like, God, give her some time. Sin no more. And watch what he says to the formerly paralyzed man, that nothing worse may happen to you. Oh, God, help us. Some people have taken this verse to mean that if this man goes and he sins even one more time, if he sins even one more time, something worse is going to happen to him. Something worse is going to plague his body that shows him that he is judged for his sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I'm glad that you're, you're healed. Your body is healed. It's my plan to heal your body. But there is something far worse 
than 38 years of being paralyzed. And that, my friend, is eternal separation from me. Where you try to go your own way and you try to be your own boss and your own self-sufficient savior. You're not going to be able to anymore. You're not going to be able to spend eternity with me because eternity with me requires the forgiveness of all sin. So when Jesus says sin no more, it is a declaration of revealing himself. Sin no more? That's impossible. He's like, I know. He's like, I need a savior. I'm him. I'm him. I'm him. I understand this morning that we're in a spiritual battle and we face the onslaught of the enemy on the daily. But I wish that we would become more God-focused than we are sin-focused. That sounds a little funny saying it, doesn't it? But we got to get more God-focused than we are sin-focused. There are people that love Jesus, but their orientation with their relationship with him is, I got to fight sin. I got to fight sin. I got to search for God, and I got to fight sin. And we're wondering why we're more sin-conscious and self-conscious than we are God-conscious. Because our life is consumed with fighting sin. I got to fight sin off. I got to fight sin off. I don't remember Paul reminding the churches saying, listen up, guys. Fight harder. Push harder. Push harder against the sin. Focus on it. Focus on the sin. Fight it. You know where it says fight? Fight the good fight. Not the bad fight. I think that the bad fight is when we try so hard to fight sin more than we fight to know Jesus more fully, more than we fight to get closer to God, more than we fight for our relationship with him, more than we fight to know him more excellently. Think about it. The more you tell yourself, I got to stop sinning. I got to stop sinning. I got to stop sinning. I got to stop. I got to stop being angry. I got to stop being angry. We leave church today. I got to work on my anger. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry. And we're upset and we're mad that we're angry. We get angry about being angry. What does it do? It doubles down on our sin. Hey, your life should not be defined by your shortcomings and your failures. Hey, standing here today, you look to the person next to you, that person next to you has fallen short. The person in front of you, they've fallen short. I have fallen short. But you shouldn't be defined by that. You should be defined by Jesus. we got to fight the good fight, the good fight of what? The good fight of faith. So the fight is, i got to fight to trust Jesus and not myself. To trust Jesus and to know that I'm forgiven, to trust him that I'm righteous, to trust Jesus that I'm loved. I feel in the room today that there are those that walk through that are feeling unloved today. There are those that are, that are fighting right now. They're struggling with these emotions that I'm talking about today. 
well, am I really forgiven? Am I really what the Bible says I am? And I really what Jesus says I am? But that's the fight to trust Jesus that I'm blessed, that I'm highly favored, to trust him that he's for me and not against me. Who do I trust? Do I trust me or do I trust Jesus? Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes in this place? My fight is not against sin. My fight is to focus on Jesus. That's why John said, this is the victory that has overcome the world, not our grit, not our ability to resist our weaknesses and our shortcomings. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. In another, it's another way of saying, this is the victory that's overcome the world. It's Jesus. I wish you'd lift up your hands right now and just say the name of Jesus. Come on, as they begin to play and sing. How do you overcome your sin? It's by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.